Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie. How was your week this week? You're sounding peppy. I had a really good weekend with the family. We just did lots of fun, normal, oh, actually, I don't know what I'm saying. We went and found, it was raining and we're like, oh, let's just take you guys to the park. So we went to the park and Harry came down and he's like, oh, there's this like a little bank where we can swim. It's like a little uh, rock pool or lagoon. And it was a creek. Anyway, he goes swimming and anyone that has watched my stories on the weekend would know that he looked like he had been eaten by a shark because he went under and then he came back up and was screaming like a little girl and swimming as fast as he could. And he's like a catfish just bit one leg. Oh, is there anything worse? And he yes, had, a water rat. A water rat would be worse. He had the two, like it was bleeding. It was hideous. Anyway. I'm so glad he um, sacrificed himself to the creek rather well, than Mia like was about a to jump in. Going, oh. She was about to jump in and he goes, ah. So, that is the thing of nightmares. No, but. um. So is that the love you week or was that your high? <laughs> I don't know what that was. That was just my weekend. And then I think my high, which is kind of like a low and it's kind of a rude or fabulous, but we'll <laughs> go with it. So Mia decided, who is my oldest child, she's eight, decided to come out to the kitchen the other day and say, Mum, I've moved out. And I was like, <laughs> oh, great, okay, where have you moved out to? And she's like, come and have a look. So I walked down the hallway and I said, am I going to really hate this? And she's like, nah, it's great. I see her bed frame in the middle of the hallway and I keep walking down and she's put Yumi's bed in my room her mattress in her room and now Billy's left on her own in a big room and she... Because Mia and Billy used to share. They used to share. So I was getting my head around it and then I thought, actually, Yumi's bed is actually better in my room because then she doesn't have to sleep in my bed and kick me in the face at night and she can get used to sleeping in her own bed and I can transition her out at some stage when she's 14. <laughs> and, and then Mia was happy because she was closer to me. And I said to Billy, I go, Billy, are you okay being in this room? And she's like, it is fantastic, mum. I have all this space to just shake it and move it and dance. And I'm like, <laughs> whoa, girlfriend. And then she started to do some little like, like hip hop thrust. And I was like, okay, so you're all happy. Anyway, she ended up in bed with me because she was too far away. Harry ended up in her room and so far everyone's sleeping in so it's actually working quite well so Mia has it was a bit rude other than the fact you no longer sleep with your husband but hey uh you know what he's either on the couch where we're all over the place (laughs) and my down my my low oh this is a low is my effing fridge broke 
It blew up last night, the motor blew up and it stunk and I have called all appliance repairs in Byron Bay and surrounds and one is on holidays for five weeks of course and the rest won't answer their phone and I have no other choice but to buy a new fridge and I'm Devo because I really love this fridge. It's just a really good fridge and I yeah, and it's I just an up. expense. I, up. I was going to say it's an expense it's that you didn't old. factor into this nah. Christmas period. And can I just say that, like, appliance-wise, I have bought this year the oven broke, had to buy that. A dishwasher broke, had to buy that. It's like it doesn't freaking end. If there's anything I need, it's a washing machine. But, no, I've got to buy a new fridge. Oh, I'm sorry. That anyway, sucks. enough about me. How are you? Oh, look, my week's been pretty questionable. We're moving again for the second time in a few months. <laughs> so anyone that's moved with kids, kids knows that it is soul draining. I don't want to sound too poor me because it's for a good reason. Like just before Christmas, we're going to be moving into our new house, into our new build, but it's just hard moving again temporarily when you know it's only for a month and you're going to have to move again. And I think just like, oh, the place we were just in, we were only in there for a couple of months, but the shit you accumulate Mm. over even a couple of months, like I thought it was going to be so easy because I was like, we did a big declutter last time we moved. I was like, it'll be fine. The next two moves will be so easy because I've done all the hard work already. Oh my God, it's been never ending. And then on top of that, I've just been feeling weird all week. Ever since we did the morning sickness episode, I have been convinced that I'm pregnant. I have done two pregnancy tests just because I've been like having weird food cravings, being so tired, just feeling off. They've both come back negative. I think it's just the fact that it's November and I'm moving house and I'm tired. But anyway, we'll watch this space, but I don't think I am pregnant. But yeah, they've been, oh, and then the high of my week is where we've moved into, we're living with my brother and his girlfriend right now. High five, babysitters. We haven't gone as far as lumping babysitter duties on them because we're very conscious of not, you know, overstepping that. Everyone knows it's only a month. It's only temporary. So like, even if it's a disaster, doesn't last that long. But can I just say how much easier life is when there are four adults in the house? Hell yeah. Like the other night, Nick and I cooked dinner. Then Till, who's my brother's girlfriend, took the girls to have a bath. Ned cleaned up the kitchen. Nick cleaned up the toys. I got the pajamas, the bottles, the nappies, etc., ready for the night. It was so smooth. I get why people say live in villages. I know that normally when you live in villages, you have to throw a few more like kids into the mix too. But I think once you're in the chaos, it's like it maybe it doesn't matter so much how many kids there are as long as you've just got enough adults. Like it has been seamless. It has been so, so good. So if anyone has the opportunity to just, you know, move in with two extra adults, go for it. I highly recommend it. No, I agree with you. When Greta comes down, who's my sister-in-law, it just, it's like, we make dinner and both of us clean up at the same time and while we're talking, we just look down and it's completely yeah, done. and even though there's an extra child, it's not a big deal. No, because yeah. they entertain each other. Yeah. It's just a win. And, I mean, I know I go on about this a lot, but it's why whenever, like, Nick goes away, other than the fact that we've established that I'm petrified <laughs> of being home on my own at night, I often just do sleepovers with a friend because, sure, we've got to chuck all our kids together, but having the two of us there and especially the two mums, shit. It just gets 
done. Like the place is impeccable. Like it's just everyone's happy, everyone's organised. But anyway. it is it is exciting as well because Harry was telling me, he's like, I'm not going to be home on Friday night. I'm going fishing. And I'm like, night fishing, right, okay. Anyway, he's going to uninterrupted golf, he told me. Uninterrupted because apparently I interrupt him in golf. As in he's going to turn his phone off. No, he's saying just please don't interrupt me. So he's going to uninterrupted golf on Friday, then he's going fishing. And I, I said, okay. And I'm like, what will make me feel good? I'm like, Greta, come and have a sleepover. Let's put all the mattresses out. Let's have a Christmas night of watching Movies. fun with the kids. And now I'm excited. I'm like, you can so go. Good. So I think it is. There is something in it. I don't want to interrupt it. you. I don't want to hear your voice no. for the entire 18 holes. Piss no. off. Bye. Now I've got a Rudolph Fabulous this week that actually happened in my own household. Ooh. So the first Rudolph Fabulous, no. That was just rude. Actually, the whole thing's pretty rude. So we were lying in bed the other morning. Nick had got up early to do something, probably to go fishing, and I just wanted a little bit of extra just downtime. So the girls had woken up. I gave Poppy my phone. I gave Goldie the iPad. I was like, watch whatever show you want, and I just wanted to lie there with my Mm. eyes closed for a little bit longer. It was bliss. Anyway, Goldie turns over in the bed and accidentally smacks me across the face with the iPad. Now, I mean, I am like suppressing expletives. My eyes started to water straight away. It it hit me across the eye and across the bridge of my nose. And I, it's the closest I've been to crying from pain in a really, really long time. Anyway, I was like, oh, I wonder if that's going to bruise. It did. Over the next few days, I got quite a significant bruise under my eye. And anyway, one day I turned to Nick and I said, babe, look how much this is bruised. And he takes one look at me and he goes, to be honest, it's pretty dark under both your eyes. (laughs) Nicholas. No better. That is very dull. I'm tired. Yeah, girl. I'm tired. Can I just say, your eyes look beautiful today. (laughs) I've got concealer on. (laughs) Mum hack concealer. Yeah, mum hack concealer. (laughs) And, oh, actually, maybe a fluffy iPad cover. Oh, seriously. The the whack. She's got a good arm. Like, she can throw. She's really strong. She can throw. And, unfortunately, she threw the iPad at my face. Okay, I've got a mum hack that I was told because I said, it to my sister-in-law and she couldn't believe it. She is pregnant, about to have another baby, and she was talking about her son that is in her room. And she's like, what am I going to do, Jade? Like, if I need to breastfeed and he needs a bottle, I can't just keep going in and out, up and down all night. I said, babe, just get a thermos or an esky if he likes cold milk and have it next to your bed ready to go. So in the middle of the night, you can just pop that out and you don't even have to lift a finger. And she's like, absolute game changer. Yeah, we do that if we're ever staying at other people's houses and don't want to disrupt the Mm. whole household by getting up to get a bottle, we'll get our like keep cup or something like that and fill it with the warm milk and then pour it into the bottle in the middle of the night. Or it's great if you're going like camping or don't have a kettle or whatever handy and you've just got it ready to go. It's so good. We don't, I guess we don't think about it because you know, when you've got formula bubs, you do have all that there, but Mm. when they're a bit older, you sort of forget that you could do that yeah. sort of thing with them. Yeah. So anyway. Saving your lives. There's, there your mom, there's your mum hat. Anyway, speaking about saving lives, this week we chatted to Penny. She is a nurse paediatric Penny. nurse. She also runs the Instagram page Sick Happens. And we chatted all about when to know when to take your little ones into hospital. It can be daunting. We never want to waste anyone's time. But, yeah, some 
tips and tricks of how you can help manage your kids at home, but then also red flags and signs to look out for that things might need a little bit more help. Absolutely. And we learned a lot as well. Enjoy. Hello, Penny, and welcome to Beyond the Bump today. For those of our beautiful listeners that may not follow you on Instagram or haven't come across your work before, can you tell us all a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm Penny and I'm a paediatric registered nurse. I've only ever worked with kids because they're awesome. I would much prefer to look after kids and families than (laughs) adults. So I've uh, also got my master's in nursing and paediatric nursing and I've just worked in so many different areas. We moved around heaps. My husband was in the Air Force, which is great for me because I've got so much experience now in lots of different areas. But the thing that used to get me the most when working in hospitals was that there's no time to educate parents. Well, there's there's a bit of time, but you, not to the level that you'd love to be able to do. So that's why I started Sick Happens was a way to be able to give parents that education before that crisis hits or even when it's happening, it's somewhere that they can tap in, get some evidence-based info. And I'm very, I like to deliver it in a way that's in their language, like parents don't want to listen to medical terminology they want to know just tell me what I need to do how to do it it's two o'clock in the morning and I'm trapped under a sleeping sick baby so yeah it's basically what sick happens is it's it sort of focuses on the sicknesses of kids rather than accidents injuries and first aid because that not really covered in first aid courses. So yeah, that's what I do here at Sick Happens. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for all you do. And thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast today. We kind of put it out to our listeners what they wanted to hear us chat about. And a really popular topic was how to know when to take our little ones into hospital. And I think it is such an important topic because I feel like it's ingrained in us that we never want to waste anyone's time, which seems so silly when it comes to the health of our kids. But, you know, I used to, before having kids, work as a doctor. And I even think now I have trouble sometimes being like, oh, should I take you to see the GP? Should I take you into hospital? Can I just look after you at home? So I think it is a really important thing to chat about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important for parents to know that it is a difficult decision-making process. It's not black and white. I mentioned before about first aid where there is clear steps to take in first aid, but when you're dealing with sicknesses, the spectrum of severity is huge in kids. You've also got to throw in what time of the day is it? Is your GP even open? Or parents learning how to trust their instincts. Like there's a big movement of saying, just trust your gut, trust your instincts. And it takes time for parents to do that. It's not something that we're just, the baby's born and boom, you've got this massive internal, you know, way of going and knowing what to do. So it it takes time. It takes practice. So I think letting parents take a bit of a breather and knowing that it's tricky for us too. Like I deliberate it over to like of knowing when to take my boys to see a doctor or go to emergency but I think don't wait until it's really bad to justify your choice in going to emergency or calling an ambulance like I think you aren't silly you're not wasting anyone's time so if you're thinking oh do I need to call an ambulance you probably do and thankfully there's so many safety nets around like the ambulance system whoever takes the call they have their own triage process too so 
they're asking you questions, you can call any of the 24-7 helpline numbers, but please know that it's not an easy choice. So don't think you're doing anything wrong by not knowing immediately what to do. We have this rule in my house that when a child is unwell, and it's usually to do with um, croup, I will be in the middle of the night and I'll say to my husband, hey, babe, do you think I should take her to hospital? And he goes, Jade, you know, every time you ask me if you should take him to hospital, you should take him to hospital. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. So that's our indication when I have to verbally ask, I already know the answer that I do. But how do you know if you're like, you know, there's helicopter parents, there are people who are hypochondriacs. Mm -hmm. How do you know, or what do you do if you are one of those and you're continuously at the hospital? Yeah. So I think the more you can learn about symptoms of sickness in kids and just what the big red flag symptoms are, I think is going to be your biggest thing. So there are things like fever, breathing issues, dehydration, rashes, and then their behavior because, you know, all kids will behave differently. So you might have a child that vomits all the time when they're really little with reflux or whatever. But if you have a child that doesn't do that and all of a sudden they start profusely vomiting and it's hitting the back of the wall or their poos are funny like there is a huge spectrum so knowing what's normal for your child and if it changes and then also just getting your head around what those big red flag symptoms are which is basically the bread and butter of sick happens Mm. Um, and I know you've got some questions coming up about those but yeah just reminding yourself I have a free checklist on my website just to prompt parents in saying hey think about this because when your child's sick you're not thinking straight you're usually really sleep deprived you can't remember anything so just having those gentle prompters and reminders to say, hey, like, have you tried pain relief or have you checked their skin or what they're breathing doing? They're the biggest things to help you learn how to troubleshoot through knowing what's normal and what's not. And I do want to reassure people, I mean, I didn't work in emergency for that long, but Jen, I mean, I'm someone who likes kids, but most people that work in ED like kids. You're like generally seeing kids is the highlight of the day, especially if they're not that sick. Do you know what I mean? Like I would (laughs) always have people apologising to me and I'm like, you've brought in this super cute kid that's not like scarily unwell. Don't apologise to me. This is like the best part of the day. And also know that most kids will pep up when they come into emergency. Like I remember. Magical doors. Yeah, I had this family that were just apologising apologizing so much because their child hadn't walked for two days and then they brought him into hospital and he started running around the emergency department and they were like oh my god I'm so sorry we promise we're not lying and I was like no this is good like he's fine yeah yeah and I think what that happens a lot we used to have so many kids turn up in the middle of the night or parents have deliberated all day about whether to take them in they finally decided yeah we need to go they're not getting better they turn up and they're happy as there's things Mm. to look at there's you know all sorts so if you can take videos or photos at home so that then you can get there and you're like look I promise I wasn't lying and it's not that we don't believe you I promise you we believe you but we know that you get a really short space of time say you turn up to your GP it's like a quick little appointment if you can show videos or photos of whatever the, the issue is that tells them so much more and it explains 
so much better than you can in words and it won't let you forget anything either. And I think one thing to say, if there's been weird poos, photos are enough. You don't have to bring the actual nappy in. (laughs) Look, I have had so many people do that. And look, if you didn't think to take a photo, (laughs) sure, like we don't really want the poo, but it really is helpful. Photos or It's so helpful because you can see the colour, the consistency, all of that. One other issue that arises a lot is that your child's unwell, you don't feel like they're unwell enough to go to hospital. You call your GP who's amazing, but because they're amazing, you can't get in to see them or anyone else in the practice that you know and trust for a week. What do you do Mm -hmm. then? Yeah, I guess you could ask them if they offer telehealth. That's one great thing that this whole lockdown life has done is that telehealth wasn't really readily available before. So that's a really good option. If you just want to chat to them, let them know what your child's symptoms are. Otherwise, give them as much information as you can and kind of put it on them. Ask them, like not to say you must see me, but say, look, well, they've had fevers for X amount of days or they've got this rash or this pain, whatever it is, and just say, what do you want me to do? If I can't see you for a week, do you think we should go to emergency or do you think we should go see another GP? Because generally they'll say, oh, like we can squeeze you in or oh, I'll put you on the wait list or if they are really stuck, they'll say, yeah, this is time to go to emergency and just it's that reassurance that it's okay to go, like you can go. But yeah, I would just ask them, just say, what do you want me to do? Especially with children. I think that doctors are always more inclined to, you know, go, oh, we'll, we'll fit you in or we'll, you can come in and see us. But when it's adults, they're like, oh yeah, you can wait three weeks. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. You probably had the symptoms for 17 years yeah, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> what are some essentials you think are good to have at home just to have you prepared? So you've mentioned having some form of checklist so that, you know, when shit metaphorically or literally hits the fan, you've got (laughs) some kind of structure. What else is good to have at home? Band-aids. Yeah, absolutely band-aids. The more colourful, the better because you'll be hard pressed to say. It it is pain relief, people. You put that (laughs) band-aid on and it fixes it. I think thermometers are really helpful, but I usually recommend under six months of age, just the underarm one. If your kids are happy with that, continue on with that. It's cheap, it's effective, it's reliable. But if they get a little bit more cranky and E1 is fabulous. Any of the others I don't really love. They're not as reliable. Also, the forehead ones aren't good. They're not as reliable. No, especially when kids have a fever, which ironically is kind of the whole point. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah, they're just not as reliable. So ear and under the arm, perfect. Like that's that's the main thing. But really you're just getting that one number and then you're looking at the child, not necessarily the number. So there's that hydrolyte is really good if you've got mm. vomiting kids. Um, you can get it in ice block form or liquid, whatever. There's so many flavors now, which is awesome. Pain relief, so paracetamol, ibuprofen, always have that on hand. And then like cool packs or peas. Stingos, stingos. Yeah, look, I'm such a minimalist. I am a very much in the camp of you'll be right, which is probably I'm typical nurse. Yeah, I'm exactly <laughs> Not, we live We live on a farm and we have green ants and we have so many things that like they get full on bites and even the dog, he goes mental <laughs> when he gets bitten by like an ant Aww. nest. So we, uh, we live by stingos. We just have it on hand and then if anyone comes over, we're like, it's all good. We've got My it. My husband stopped 
stopped asking me for advice because anytime yeah. he asks me anything, I'm like, oh, they won't do anything if you go in anyway. Or, oh, they'll just watch and wait if you go in anyway. And he's like, is there anything that you think they will actually treat me for? I'm like, no, nothing that you do. No. Yeah. <laughs> but that's actually a really good point. Like where you live does make a difference in what level of first aid kit you're going to have, whether you're going to have compression bandages mm. and all of that sort of thing. So yeah, like I live right in the city, so I could just duck to the chemist easy. Mm. But if you are out or camping or you live rurally, yeah, you might probably need more in your kit. I do have one tip. If you do have a first aid kit, I highly recommend putting it up on a high shelf because every time we have a kit lower, they all use it on their baby dolls and their teddy bears and then they come out. Band-aids. Like Mia goes to school with like a bandage on her leg. I'm like, you don't even have a sore. And she's like, yeah, but it might be sprained. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Christmas presents can be their Band-Aids. Exactly. Yeah, um, any tips on actually getting your kids to take pain relief or any medicine oh, at home? Yeah, I have done quite a few posts on this because, yeah, I mean, some kids love it and you actually have to hide the pain relief from them because they love it that much. Otherwise, definitely syringe it is going to be easier. You can pop it in the side of the cheek. If they're really little, side of the cheek and dummy or feed because they'll naturally swallow it. It's the toddlers, the turdlers and the older kids that's going to be a bigger the problem. Turdlers, I've never the heard turdlers. that. <laughs> you can pop, measure it out, pop it on a spoon with some sprinkles. Oh, wow. You can mix it in with other things like jam or yogurt, but just make sure it's a really small amount mm. because if you're putting it in a whole mm. bottle and they don't finish it all, you have no idea how much they've had. Mm. You don't know how much to repeat. So, yeah, you can absolutely mix it in with foods, but the smaller the better. When they're babies, is it okay to, like when you put it in their mouth and they don't like it, blow in their mouth so they actually automatically have to swallow or is that yeah. not very nice? Do, do you want the nurse answer or the mum answer? Both, both. Whichever <laughs> one look, agrees with her. <laughs> yeah. Look, it, it is a reflex, blowing on them. It's the same with dogs. Our vet told us to do that with our dog. Blowing on them is a natural re- reflex to swallow. So, yep, you can do wow. that. Taking this to another yeah. realm Stop. right now. Blowing yeah. and swallowing. Just yeah, stopped. okay. Stopped. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's just, we'll just forget that bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've got to be mindful of how much you do that because you don't want them to cough and choke and splutter. But yeah. But and a right. suppository's fine up the bum? Yeah, up the bum's fine. You want to go there now. Okay. Yeah, God, jeez. <laughs> I'm still talking about the Panadol and the children. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> yes. They're fine. Paracetamol suppositories are fine. They were really low in stock. They were really hard to get. But again, you just really want to ask yourself, why Why are you giving that pain relief? Like, what are you trying to treat? Is it to bring the number down? You probably don't need to do that. Or are they in pain? Are they refusing to drink? So same with giving it via the mouth. You just need to ask, why are you reaching for that medication? Yeah, so that you know, is it worth the risk of doing it up the bottom or not? So on that topic, because that came in a lot, your child has a fever. Do you need to treat it? Yeah. So the biggest thing is going to be how old is your child? So three months of age or younger, if they have a temperature, which is 38 degrees Celsius or above any age, it doesn't change with the younger kids or older kids. It is just 38 degrees Celsius is a fever. So if your baby's three months of age or younger and they do have a fever, then you do need to get them checked 
straight away. So I'd recommend just going to emergency because they have more resources. So can you not just give them Panadol? No. So you can give them Panadol if they're uncomfortable, but you need to find the source of infection in that age group because they're really vulnerable. They have a weakened immune system. They're not old enough. And for that particular age group, their symptoms can be really vague. So they're not going to be able to tell you where they're sore or they might just be off their feeds, but they could have an infection anywhere. So the risk of them having an untreated infection is so much higher in that age group that any fever, you need to find out what it is. So it could definitely be viral and they don't need treatment, but you need to make sure that you're not missing a serious infection like meningitis or something happened during delivery. It's just, it's so much more important. Once they get over that age, over three months of age, then it becomes a lot more sort of challenging because that's where your troubleshooting comes into it. You're looking at all of their symptoms. You absolutely can give them pain relief to make them feel better, but it's not as critical. I find the pain relief medication like Panadol and Nurofen for kids and even when you go to the hospital, they always advise to try not to give them Panadol and Nurofen if they, you know, unless they really, really need it. So if my children have fevers, they're like, unless they're extremely uncomfortable, try and let their body handle it because fevers are okay. Are fevers okay? Yeah, fevers are definitely okay. They are just an immune response. So for kids, kids get fevers a lot more than adults because they haven't had the exposure to other illnesses where you build up immunity. So kids fight with heat more. So that's normal. It's natural. It's a good sign that everything is working okay. So giving that medication, there used to be a bit of a theory going around that if you gave Panadol and Nurofen to lower the temp, they would be sicker for longer. When that kind of been debunked now, there's no harm in giving pain relief to kids for fever. But again, ask yourself, why are you giving it? Are you giving it to lower the number? Or are you giving it to make them more comfortable Mm. so that they can sleep, they can drink? Because rest and hydration are going to be your biggest things to worry about with fever Mm. rather than the number. So, yeah, it's more just asking yourself why are you giving it rather than just knee-jerk reaction. Fever, Panadol. So if they have a fever and they're completely comfortable, no need to give it just to bring the number down. No. And when should we be worried about a fever? So when should we seek extra help for a fever? So it's more to do with how many days have they had that fever. So any more than about three, you'd want to be getting it checked because they might have a bacterial infection that needs antibiotics, for example. Then you're also looking for other symptoms alongside that fever. So are they constantly in pain that Panadol and Nurofen isn't helping? Are they refusing to drink and they're becoming dehydrated? Do they have a rash as well? Are they having troubles with their breathing? So they're the sort of, it's almost like, okay, fever, tick. What are the other symptoms that we need to look for now? And is it true that like if the temperature is above 40, for example, that must mean they're really, really sick? No, not true. So the higher the number, generally the more uncomfortable they're going to be, but it doesn't really have any bearing whatsoever on the severity of the sickness. So you could have a little one that has a temp of 39 and they could be really sick with an awful urinary tract infection, for example, and just miserable. Or you could have a child with a temp of 40 
and they're fanging around the lounge room, you know, have, having you a great to time. to sit down. The yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's more what does your child look like rather than a number. And is it an indication of a worse illness if the Panadol and Nurofen isn't bringing the temperature down? Like should you be more concerned if, you know, you take their temperature, they're 38, five or they're 39 and then you give it and it stays the same yeah I've actually had this conversation with heaps of my colleagues because it's something that we want to know about it's a question that we do ask but it it's hard because it's not a huge red flag but it's a piece of the puzzle Mm -hmm. so we're not going to be necessarily super concerned saying oh no that Panadol didn't do anything this is terrible but it might just give us a bit more information. So if that's been happening for, you know, a number of days, we'd be like, okay, we really need to find out where this infection's coming from. But yeah, it's not terrible news. That's a hard one to answer. My poor mum had, I, when I was a baby, I had febrile convulsions. Mm. So, I mean, you can explain what they are, but if people do happen to have that, is it straight to the doctor? I mean, I can't even imagine if my children stopped breathing and turned blue. That would be like an absolute horrific event. But mum yeah. said it happened about three or four times and she said every time was as scary as the first, even though they were saying it's literally your body like shutting down and resetting. But I've never been able to cope with fevers. It's just my body does not regulate temperature. What a surprise because I'm always having my shirt off while She's we're recording. Sweating. <laughs> God help me when I go through menopause. But can you explain <laughs> what um, febrile convulsions are? Yeah, so febrile convulsions happen when there's a really rapid rise in the internal body temp. So there's a lot of confusion that parents think that if they have a really high temp, they're going to have a febrile convulsion when you can almost take comfort in knowing that if their temp's really, really high, there's not really that much more room for it to rise anymore, which is why sometimes kids will have a febrile convulsion and parents won't even know that they've got a fever because it's jumped so quickly. Uh, right. So it yeah, it's almost like that blue screen area with the really fast rise. We don't know why it happens. It happens in about one in 30 kids will have febrile convulsions. But yeah, if it does happen, you're following basic first aid. If it's the first one, you call an ambulance because it's not up to parents to try and decide, oh, it's just a febrile convulsion. That's fine. Like you don't know how long it's going to go on for. You don't know why it's happening, call an ambulance. In saying that, if your child is having them over and over again, it's easy for us as healthcare professionals to say, it's okay, it's not going to cause any damage, your child's just more prone to having them. But if you feel unsafe at home, you can call an ambulance. Like You don't have to sit at home thinking, oh, no, they told me not to call. And meanwhile, yeah, like you said, they're going blue. You call an ambulance if you feel unsafe in a situation. That's what they're there for. I've never actually thought about that, weirdly enough, but every time there's a child that's sick and needs to go to hospital, I would drive them there. But if you are home alone and you've got multiple children, the smartest, most sensible thing would be to call an ambulance. Yeah, like it's just how safe can you drive? 
with your kids. Not like very. so many times parents. Yeah. So, yeah. In a crisis or in general. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to have a car accident on your way there. No. You also definitely don't want to, if you can't feel comfortable putting your child in the back strapped into their car seat with you driving in the front and it's not safe to drive. So yeah, you can absolutely call an ambulance. And then it's up to the ambulance service whether they want to pile everyone in together because that might not be safe in the ambulance. There might not be enough room. Worst case scenario, they may send your child off to hospital on their own. If it's critical, you know, I'm talking about like yeah. you're having troubles with their breathing or that sort of thing. If it's not critical, they can come help stabilise your child whilst, you know, you're getting some neighbours to come yeah. or like whatever. Like they can sort that out. But the safety of your child is always number one. If they need an ambulance, don't worry about how many kids you've got. You call an ambulance yeah. and get them there if they need it. Yeah. And you touched on when they're less than three months, if there's any fever, you get them seen to immediately. Yeah. What if there's no fever? How can you kind of distinguish between, you know, we've all had that situation where your child is just your baby is inconsolable mm-hmm. and you're like there must be something wrong with them but they don't have a fever and like how can we know oh no they're just having a moment they've Four had a big old. day they've got wind or whatever versus yeah. oh I actually think there might be something wrong with them they won't stop crying yeah uh, I feel you I, I had one one of my boys was the same he just cried and cried and cried yeah look what I would recommend if that was a situation and this was really unnormal for your child I'd recommend stripping them off completely because you want to check them. Have they got like a bite somewhere? Has something happened? Have they been injured? A hair tourniquet is something that most parents don't know about where loose strands of hair or even little bits of cotton from socks or onesies can wrap around toes or fingers or penises and it can cut off their circulation. And there's definitely been cases where amputation has had to happen because there's been no blood supply. Yeah, I know. Why does no one know about this? I always freak out about the little wrist roll, how it looks like they've got something tight around them. I, I remember with Poppy, I would like check it every day just being like, is that just a little bit of chub or have you got something wrapped tightly around your wrist? Yeah, yeah. And if that's happening though, like you would see that the skin colour would be different yeah. on the other side. It would be paler in colour or even kids with really dark skin, it might be harder, like there might be more pressure. So you'd see, but just doing like a big check, stripping them off, checking like all of that sort of thing. And then you want it when they're stripped off, you're checking their breathing. Are they breathing stranger than normal? Is it noisy? Is it faster? Are they not feeding well or not at all? Check their nappies. Have they done a poo or a wee? Like, is that all okay? But yeah, just taking the time just to stop, pause. I mean, they're probably going to scream the whole way through, which is pretty stressful as well. But just doing that full body check so that you can be like, right, is there something obvious here that I've just completely missed because they're so bundled up? And then if it's still continuing, absolutely call your GP or a 24-7 helpline. They are amazing at helping remind you what things to look for. And they ask you questions. And it's like having that sort of buddy to give you that reassurance of that middle of the night, like you were saying, Jay, where it's like, it's time to go to hospital Mm. and get them checked. Someone removed from the situation looking over you that's not in the, you know, because when they're crying nonstop, nothing's firing in your head. It's just, yeah. 
you just want it to stop. And it is so, so stressful when that's just never ending screaming. Let's move on to gastro type symptoms. How do we know Mm -hmm. when our little one's too dehydrated, too many vomits? Yeah. When can we no longer keep them at home? Yeah. So really just looking at their hydration. So the number of vomits doesn't really matter. You know, some kids have a more like a more sensitive gag reflex or some kids are just vomiters, like those refluxy babies. Sophie's got a bad gag re- reflex. No, my, my gag reflex is not too bad, but I am a vomiter. I just yeah. am a vomiter. Yeah, like every sickness you get, whether it's a cold or something, sometimes you just have a cheeky spew and, yeah, like kids are the same. So then really you're just looking at their nappies or wheeze. Are they having, we say, roughly less than half than normal or is their wee really dark in color or really smelly if your bub's still quite small like this soft spot on the top of their head where those fontanelles join if it's a little bit sunken like if it dips down a little bit that's a bit of a sign that they're dehydrated too but really it's all to do with how much are they drinking and how much are they weighing so if you're really having troubles getting in any fluid which typically happens that's the time to go because the dehydration is going to be so much more of a complication than the vomiting or Mm -hmm. the poos. So yeah, that's the biggest thing is just try and jot down how much they're drinking, how often they're weeing or vomiting or having diarrhea. And that's really useful for doctors to have a look. And any tips on getting fluids in? Because I feel like it can be contentious. Mm. Like some people are like watered down apple juice, but some people are like, no, don't do that. It just has to be water. But how do we get them to drink? Honestly, anything they want. Right. Age dependent, obviously. You're not going to be giving juice to you know, two months old. <laughs> That'll hydrate them. <laughs> really, you want them hydrated. If all they want is juice, then give them juice. Keep offering some diluted juice. You normally say one, yeah, one part juice or lemonade to four parts water. But if they're vomiting a lot and they're not eating and they're not drinking much, you want that sugar too. You're not going to load them up with spoonfuls of, you know, brown sugar, but they do need sugar. If they're only sipping on water, they could have a really low blood sugar and, you know, that causes complications. So honestly, ice blocks, yogurt, fruit, smoothies, soup, new drink bottles, new straws, anything. A great tip I did when I had three kids. Wow, that started wrong. (laughs) A great tip I have when I have three kids that are all sick with gastro or like have fevers is... Hire a babysitter and move out. (laughs) Yes, see ya. No, I have a sheet of paper and I just mark, I have Mia, Billy and Yumi and I note when they have their medicine and when they need their next one and I stick it on the fridge because it can get quite confusing to know who's had what and even when you've just got one oh yeah you're like I can't remember when I did that then you start to panic and just on that topic can you just confirm with us the hours that you can have Nurofen and the hours in between that you can have Panadol? So Panadol you can give a maximum of four doses in a 24-hour period but you can give it every four to six hours. So if you wanted to give it every four hours, you could, but you'd max out on your doses before that 24-hour period was up. Same with Nurofen, except that three doses in 24 hours and you can give it every six to eight hours. So I actually created magnets for this that go on the fridge so that you can write it down and wipe it off for exactly the same reason because in the middle of the night, you're like, who had which one last and which child? And if you're sharing with your partner about who's up and down, like yeah. it's so easy to overdose. 
the amount of kids that have come into emergency after just being accidentally overdosed where mum or dad or like they both gave the same one or it is so easy to happen. So yeah, I have magnets for that to make it so much easier up on the fridge. And is there a reason to reach for one over the other or do you just alternate so that you can like, you know, if they're quite unwell and you're wanting to give medication more frequently, Mm -hmm. which one should you kind of reach for first? Yeah, I normally always recommend to go for Panadol first. It's a lot more gentle on the tummy and it's just a sort of a good all-rounder. But ibuprofen or nurofen is really good if they've got pain caused by any sort of inflammation. So that belongs to a family called an anti-inflammatory. So it's good for things like ear pain or tonsillitis or teething. So anything that has that swelling is fantastic. And yeah, you can switch between the two. There's no problems in doing that. Just make sure you write it down so you don't grab the wrong one. And if you do accidentally overdose with medication, should you go to the doctor or the hospital straight away? Like how severe is it if you gave two lots of Nurofen and you both standing in the kitchen going, whoops. Oops. Yeah. Call the poisons hotline. I think it's 13, 11, uh, yes. 26. I'll pop it in there. It's a New South Wales run hotline. They're amazing. And hot tip, if we have any child come into emergency and they've ingested something, we call that hotline oh, wow. ourselves. Yeah. Because they have all of the info. They know what symptoms to look out for. They know what bloods need to be done, if at all. So save yourself a trip to emergency, call the hotline first. They'll tell you, you'll be fine. Look for these symptoms or they'll say, you need to go see someone. Awesome. The best hotline ever. Now moving on to my absolute worst nightmare and that is rashes. (laughs) As a doctor, I hated them. I hate when my friends text me being like, oh, da-da-da's woken up with this rash because they all look deadly to me because I just Mm -hmm. find them so confusing. So help us out. How do we know if a rash is something to be concerned about or not? Yeah. So they all look the same. Yeah, you're right. So (laughs) basically you just want to see if it disappears or not when you touch it. You have rashes that will disappear when you touch it. So you press on it and it goes white or you can use a glass and you can sort of roll that glass over it and so you can see through. If it disappears, great. That is a really, really good sign. And then you can put that in the basket of the 10,000 rashes that that could be. <laughs> you really narrowed Seriously. it down. Oh, good. Oh, you made me feel yeah. so much better. <laughs> but you have time. The, the, the key there is you have time with that where it's not incredibly life-threatening. If your rash, if your child's rash does not disappear when you touch it, you do need to get that checked straight away. And the reason for that is it could be something like meningococcal, which is really time-sensitive very, very serious and it can happen super quickly. There are things that can cause a non-blanching is what it's called or a non-disappearing rash, but you don't have the luxury of time. Doesn't matter. Just want to get it checked. You want to rule out the most serious thing first. So if you had a child that had that rash that didn't disappear when you touched it, I'd 100% advise you to go to emergency. If it was spreading before your eyes, I would call an ambulance so then they can treat your child on the way. But they're basically the two categories of rashes that I say, just learn those. Does it disappear or does it not? And then go from there. All right, let's move on, shall we? Head knocks and concussions. What do we do? Yeah. So it's always going to happen before bed, nighttime. <laughs> they're <Yes>. always, <laughs> yeah, they're clumsy, they're tired, they're, you know, they're spiraling out of control. So 
there was this train of thought where you couldn't put your kids to sleep. You had to keep them awake. But that is not really the most current you know, recommendation now. You can absolutely put your child to sleep if they've bumped their head, if they don't have any other symptoms. So the biggest symptoms that you're looking for is, did they lose consciousness? So did they cry? straight away. Crying and screaming is fantastic with a head knock because it means that they didn't pass out. (laughs) Obviously, the big things are like seizures. You'd want to be calling an ambulance. Vomiting is a really big red flag for head bumps. We actually don't know why kids vomit after a head bump if it's a serious head bump. One vomit, okay, not a problem. You can watch and wait. Any more than one vomit, we say go and get checked out because it can be a sign of concussion or a more serious head bump. Any sort of persistent headache or pain, which is really tricky for parents to be able to work out, especially when they're younger. So is their behaviour significantly different? Are they really irritable or are you having lots of trouble settling them down? Are they just crying? That would be a big red flag. Say like, are they actually in pain? Have they got sort of, you know, irritation up in the brain? And then the other things to look out for are things like their balance or their core are they all of a sudden really clumsy or they talking gibberish like more gibberish than they normally do (laughs) or are they having troubles swallowing or so all of those sorts of things where you're just like what is going on you're acting really strange that's enough for you to be like let's just get our little one checked out and Um, so would those things happen straight away like would the vomiting happen straight away because we're saying okay so it's a new school of thought you can put them straight to bed, mm-hmm. but they, they go to sleep. But they, what's then, the timeline? Yeah, yeah, like are they then just vomiting on themselves in bed? Yeah, look, it usually does happen fairly quickly. If your child came into emergency with a head bump, we usually would always observe them for four hours. So usually if they've started vomiting within that four-hour period after bumping their head, that's sort of that most critical time frame. And then all of the other symptoms you're watching for later. But I have come across quite a few healthcare professionals that are like, oh, they've bumped their head, but oh, they've got gastro. But well, they weren't actually vomiting before. So if it's an acute period, so if it's happened quite quickly, yeah, within the first couple of hours, definitely go get them checked out. And speaking of injuries in general, Mm. it can be hard to know kind of what gashes or wounds you can leave to just heal on their own versus what should be stitched up or Mm. glued. The longer that Goldie's chin, she (laughs) split her chin open trying to get into a toy pram and now that it's healing, I'm like, hmm, maybe that should have been glued back together because it does look like quite a mighty scar. So I think I need advice on this. <laughs> well, I guess it really depends. Like if they're first cut somewhere like on their chin or their eyebrow or something, first time it's going to bleed a lot. So just be prepared for that. So much easier said than done. But the actual shape and the size of the cut, it's more to do with how deep is it? Like, can you actually see bone? Probably need to get that one checked out. Um, <laughs> is, is it a jagged cut? Like, does it look really sort of like split up funnily? That will probably need to be checked out because it might not heal well. If it's a nice straight cut, you could probably put some stereo strips on that. But if you're questioning, oh, I don't know, does it, does it not, best just to get it checked mm. and then they can glue it or stitch it 
gluing and stitching is exactly the same. They'll probably opt for glue as much as they can because you then don't have to put any more needles or stitches. It's really, really good. But the location of the cut is a big thing too. So they won't glue anywhere near the eyes. You know, you don't want any glue in the eye. If there's any cuts through the lip, you do need to get that one checked because sometimes they need to get plastics involved because we don't want to impair the function of their mouth because they've got to eat and talk and all of that sort of thing. So any cut through the lip, get that one checked out. What about the tongue? I was going to say, what about the tongue? The tongue? There's not a lot we can do for tongues. See, I was right. Yeah. Billy um, cut her tongue. She was double bounced on a trampoline and no joke bit through the entire tongue and it split the blood was out of control and I just said that is the fastest healing thing we have you'll be fine and everyone was like oh I don't know and it to be honest for a couple of days it looked pretty wonky and I thought oh maybe they would stitch it but I googled it and they were like nah you're fine and here we are yeah they wouldn't stitch it but they'd probably if it was like flappy they'd want to check it to make sure it doesn't get infected or like if you if you bite like the inside of your mouth same thing if there was like a like a flap where food could get in there or if they've bumped teeth dentists can come into emergency or you can go see your dentist to check has it damaged the adult teeth or is there the Mm. gum or like there's yeah that's way outside of what I know but we just can't you know handball that one off to Now, staying on the same line as trampolines, let's talk about broken bones. Mm. How do we know our child has a broken bone and when we should get that looked at? And this sounds silly because people are like, your child's got a broken bone, like their leg's probably sticking around the other way, facing the other way. But I have had a child. In the same two weeks. In the same two weeks, my child, Poppy, broke her leg and it wasn't seen to for about 36 to 48 hours. And Yumi, Jade's child, broke her arm and it didn't get seen to for a little bit longer, but we don't <laughs> hold it against Jade. So it's not it's not cut and dry like you think it no, is. No, it's not. Like there's your obvious deformed limbs and like bone sticking out. Which As you said before, happens. if you can see bone, can get them see seen it, totally. Um, but Great absolutely tip. there's other toddler fractures that can happen where you can't, it's not obvious. So you're looking for things. Things like swelling that doesn't really go away or pain. Are they refusing Mm. to walk or are they just not using an arm? So many times you won't know it's broken until you've actually done an x-ray and we'll do that if those symptoms persist. So if it has been a couple of days and you're like, oh, it's probably just a soft tissue injury, give them some Nurofen, it'll be fine. And it hasn't actually been fine. Yeah, we'll do an x-ray, check it out. Another one is pulled elbows. That can happen a lot too with kids where if you pick them up by their hands and like, you know, you like you swing them around or they've hung onto something and someone's grabbed them. It can, it's a dislocation of the elbow and it can pop out and yeah, they'll just stand there and not want to use their arm at all. But a quick little manoeuvre by the healthcare professionals can just pop it back in and hot to trot. That makes me feel sick in the tummy, like more so even than a broken bone. Oh, a dislocated elbow, yuck. And the last one and potentially the scariest one is when our little ones have breathing troubles or respiratory issues. What are kind of the red flags with that and what we can chill and deal with at home versus getting them seen? Yeah. So I always say, are they breathing faster, harder or noisier than normal? 
So I don't ever expect parents to whip out a stopwatch and count how many breaths your child's doing. Like you don't need to worry about that, but you can tell by looking at them by just saying, oh, they're breathing really fast. That's enough to be like, okay, we probably need to get them checked. When I say are they breathing harder than normal? So again, strip them off. Are they sucking in around the ribs or under the ribs or like on their neck? Are they bobbing their head with every breath or flaring nostrils? Just looking at them and going, they weren't doing that before and that's really odd. You can take videos of your child when they're well. If ever you're like, I don't know if this is different or not, just take a video Mm. when they're well have a look at them and then when they're sick, if you're not sure, you can have a look at that one be like, oh, mm, no, they are actually idea. breathing differently there. And then the other one is noisier. So there are so many different breath sounds that happen and obviously the trained professionals know what they are, but, again, we don't expect parents to know that. So if they're just making a funny noise, like I'm sure, Jade, with when your little one had creep first, you're like, well, I don't know what that cough is or that noise is, but that is not normal. So And it came on <laughs> really fast. Is my dog in your room? Yeah. So any noise is, is it just all of a sudden come about in the middle of the night or when they're breathing, when they're feeding? Yeah. Is it all of a sudden this noise has happened and that's the time to be like, oh, okay, let's get them checked. And do things like vaporizers and cough mixtures, do they help with a cough? Because I find coughs can be the trickiest. They're like totally fine during the day and then you're so ready to go to bed and then they're just Mm -hmm. up all night coughing and you just feel a bit lost, like there's nothing you can do. Yeah, totally. The cold air, they've got less distractions, they're lying down flat. Yeah, there's so many things that trigger off that nighttime cough. Look, vaporizers and humidifiers are all just a case-by-case situation can absolutely trial them but just take note of whether it's actually helping or not because it all depends on what's causing that cough so sometimes for our older kids if they've got an allergy say to molds or you know warmer environments that can trigger off their cough more so yeah yeah there's absolutely no harm in giving them a try they can be really nice and it's actually really nice for us like you said to feel like we're doing something because you can feel so helpless but just yeah Yeah. if all of a sudden it's getting worse be like nah we tried that we'll can that one and what about cough mixture oh yeah so cough mixtures aren't really recommended for kids under six Mm -hmm. but it depends what the ingredients are. So all of the sort of cough expectorants and suppressants, we definitely don't want to give under that age because it can make them too drowsy. But if you're, I would just definitely chat to your pharmacist when you're in there, just be like, is this one okay? Because there are lots that are advertised for under that age um, and they just might not have those active ingredients that we're told to avoid. So yeah, just chat to your pharmacist. And again, sometimes it can help, sometimes it won't trial and yeah sometimes you just feel like you're doing something oh just give it a whirl (laughs) the other thing that I wanted to know as it is spring here what about antihistamines for children are they okay like for a hay fever or something yeah yeah so you can absolutely do that I would chat to your pharmacists. Pharmacists are an amazing untapped resource. Like they are really knowledgeable and it saves you a GP Mm. trip because you can just buy it over the counter, antihistamines, but I wouldn't do it unless just chatting to someone first, just because then they can ask you questions about your child's health history. But yeah, hay fever, kids can absolutely get hay fever. It's just a lot harder to diagnose and get a plan because They can't tell you all of their symptoms. So, yeah, you absolutely can grab it. You just need to make them a lot of different ones, just 
make sure it's the correct one for your child's age and just track their symptoms because there are a lot of different antihistamines with different active ingredients. You might need to trial a few. So if you can just track their symptoms, so how often they're sneezing, coughing, runny nose, watery eyes, whatever it is, alongside whatever antihistamine you're trialing, just to see which one's actually helping. Because there's lots of, there's up the nose sprays and things. So yeah, it's unfortunately hay fever is one that you might need to trial for a while because hay fever belongs to the, the allergy family. So it's an immune response and it's an mm. abnormal immune response. And the immune response just goes ridiculously crazy. And it's really hard to pinpoint it changes it's really annoying (laughs) clever thing well I think that's enough from us today thank you so so much for joining us I feel like it's kind of made me feel a lot more calmer about Mm. any sicknesses that are ahead of me um to come into them with a bit more of a structured kind of common sense but knowledgeable approach so thank you so so much no worries thanks for having me pleasure (laughs) thanks for listening to this episode of beyond the bump If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.